Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 10, verse 22 to 30. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. So what is it in your life today that you find of greatest value? What is the thing that you treasure the most. We're talking about worship tonight, that a disciple is a worshiper of Jesus. I think I could make a pretty good case based on what I've learned from others that everyone worships something, that we are designed for this and we will find something in life to worship. When we're talking about being a worshiper of Jesus specifically, it might help us to frame and define the word worship as this. Worship is a human response to a gracious God. So it's our responding to what God has done for us. It needs to be placed in context if we're to properly understand what worship is. It's our response to a gracious God. The word worship can be used for any kind of interaction with, with, uh, with God and his people. For example, we can worship him through ascribing his glory through songs, as we did just a few moments ago. We can worship him through prayer as we bow down before him and we cry out to him, or we give him thanks, or we give him adoration, or we ask him for the help that we desperately need. We can worship him right now as we listen to someone stand up and preach the word of God to us. We can worship right now as we preach the word to other people. There are many things we do in response to what the gracious God has done for us. One thing I'm learning this week is really outside of my comfort zone, and it's learning to rest. I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm pretty good at that. I'm talking about resting. Resting in the fact that no matter what I do today, I, I can do nothing in this moment right now, and I can know that God loves me because of what He has done through Christ. Do you have that rest today? Do you have that knowledge of knowing that no matter what it is, you, you don't have to prove yourself to God? You don't have to try and go back and undo all the things that you've done in the past. 
God wants us to be his disciples, and he wants us to worship him. And a disciple doesn't worship God in general, but we also specifically worship Jesus. There was a lot of worship going on last night. I watched a really interesting football game, at least at the end of it, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was a uh, penalty-laden game. A lot of penalties were were being thrown for unsportsmanlike conduct and all these things, and it got pretty ugly, and thousands of fans in Cincinnati were upset uh, and left the evening upset as well as their team lost. And I assume millions of people were upset last night, too, because they lost. And uh, actually, two teams played yesterday. So all these people are really upset. So they're having a human response to something that's happening out there. That's a form of worship, even though they wouldn't say, maybe they wouldn't say, I worship the Bengals or the Steelers. It's a form of worship. It's a response that we have toward something. There was also a lot of worship last night about this $900 million jackpot, right? I have not bought a lottery ticket in over 10 years, and I think for good reason. But I was so tempted last night. I left the house at 9.30 and walked to the bodega thinking, you know, there's a lot of things we could do with $900 million, Lord. We could pay off our debt. We could plant churches all around New York City. You could use that money for great things. But on the other hand, if, if I'm going there and placing my hope in maybe winning money, Maybe I'm not placing my hope in you to provide. Maybe I'm crossing a line if I do that. So I had this total back and forth, and I, I get to, uh, I'm on my way there, and I'm like 70% not going to buy one, 30% going to buy one if no one's there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? So I go in, I get to the bodega, and this place is normally empty, except for the guy running it. It was packed. People were going crazy. Fathers had their sons in there filling out lottery tickets, and they were doing all these things. And I was like, wow, there's no way at this point I can buy a ticket. I can't be part of this. And I'm not looking at this condemning thing like, these people are so bad for doing this. But I do think it would have violated my faith for me in that moment to buy a ticket in hopes that God would provide through this worldly way, and instead of trusting God to provide in a way that would honor him. See, there's something within me that hates being dependent on people. I don't like asking people for things, and I even put God over there in that section where I don't want to ask him for things either. I would really like to be self-sustained to where I could be my own man and do my own thing, and I feel like I can justify that because I feel like I would do good things with it. That's how we get caught in the trap of sin. We start trying to be like God instead of worshiping God. We worship something. So what is it that I was desiring, or why was temptation so strong last night for that? You know, I wanted wealth. I would love to not owe taxes. So I would pay taxes, but I would have the money to buy it, right? Pay the taxes. I'd like to have wealth. I'd like to have security. And I would like to be able to do good things for people. Substantial things. So those are good things. But I have them already in Christ. I have the greatest of all wealths. The creator of the world is my father through Christ. Hallelujah. 
I am a wealthy man. Security. We saw in the scripture that Yeji read a moment ago that Jesus said the Father is powerful than all and no one can snatch them out of my hands. I have security in Christ. And talking about helping people in substantial ways, millions of people were deflated like New England's footballs last night when their lottery ticket didn't hit. Some of you may be deflated because your ticket lost or your team lost. Well, I have good news for you tonight. You don't have to leave this place deflated. There's hope for you. There is wealth, there is security, and there is a purpose for your life. And it starts with being a disciple, a follower of Christ, and it starts with being a worshiper of Jesus. Jesus is the opposite of the world. The world promises like this lottery. It says millions of people have this hope, but it only pays a few people who might have this winning ticket. But Jesus is the opposite. He makes the promise to the entire world, not just to millions. And he comes through on his promise that everyone who places their faith in him will have that value, will have that wealth and security. They will have the creator as their father. Tonight we're going to see how a disciple, a disciple is a worshiper of Jesus. I want to give us three truths about worshiping Jesus from tonight's text. We're going to jump around a little bit too, but don't worry. The scriptures will be on the screen for you to follow along. Number one is this. Jesus proclaimed his deity. A disciple is a worshiper of Jesus, and Jesus proclaimed his deity. So deity means that he's the creator. You are God. You are a supreme being. You have divine status. And Jesus claimed that he was not only sent from God, that he was not only a prophet of him, but he also claimed equality with him as being the son of God. In claiming that sonship, he was saying, it is right for you to worship me. We just read this. We'll review it again in John chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. He said, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. It's one of the most clear statements in all of the scriptures where Jesus claims his divinity, where he says, I and the Father are one. We are unity is what that means. We are the same. We are equal. He's submissive to the Father as the Son, but he is equal with him as creator. He is equal with him as being uh, so valuable and worthy of our worship. This is not the only place where he mentions his divinity. There are several. I'll share one other one with you. It's in John chapter 8, verse 56 and 59, a chapter and a half previously. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he's speaking to a group of religious leaders. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see me, or rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, All right, come on. You're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? And then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. That I am is a direct proclamation that Jesus is saying, I am God. Before Abraham was even born, 
Not I was, but I am. And they knew what he was saying that by saying I am because it says, therefore they picked up stones and they threw, to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. It's not the only time, and we'll see another passage in a few moments where they, the crowds are so angry with him that they pick up stones ready to, to kill him for his claim of divinity. Uh, Pastor Larry mentioned earlier about C.S. Lewis talking about things to consider with Jesus proclaiming to be God, and someone alliterated what he said about a, a madman. They alliterated it to make it a little easier for us to, understand, or to remember. And so basically what C.S. Lewis was saying was Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. The first step of remembering that a disciple is to worship Jesus, we are a worshiper of him, is to know that Jesus proclaimed his deity. The second truth about worshiping Jesus is this. The followers of Jesus professed his deity. So Jesus proclaimed it, the followers professed it. His disciples, they worshiped him. They professed him as Lord in a way that was only worthy of God. You see in the Old Testament where Sarah refers to her husband Abraham as Lord. That's a little ill. It's not a ascription of, worth, of worship to him, but it's a sign of respect as you have a landlord. That's where that word would come from. But they're calling him Lord in a way that they worship him. Jesus, remember, walked on water. He's scared. In fact, his disciples were terrified. They were in a boat one night, and they look out, and they think, oh, there's a ghost coming at us, and that's enough to scare them uh, on its own. Uh, But then they realize that, no, it's Jesus because he says something to them, and that probably terrifies them even more to realize who he is, and he's out there walking on the water. Well, Peter, in this wonderful attempt to, to go to his Lord and take a step of faith, says, let me come to you. So he, he walks out to him, and he's walking on water toward Jesus, but he gets distracted by the waves, and he starts to sink. And he says, Lord, save me. And so Jesus reaches out his hand, and he picks him up, and he says, you have little faith. You should have stayed focused on me. And so he picks Peter up, and they get back to the boat. <clears throat> and in Matthew chapter 14, verse 32, we read this. And when they got into the boat... The wind stopped. You ever been in a storm and it's just blowing and blowing and it just stops? I haven't. I bet it'd be pretty cool. I was in the eye of a hurricane once and it kind of did that. It's eerie. There's wind around you. You know it's there. You know the next wave is coming. But right now it's peaceful. The wind just hushed. And those who were in the boat, in verse 33, worshipped Jesus, saying, You are certainly God's Son. His followers, those who knew him, those who walked with him, felt and sensed and experienced the power of God within this man. He was more than a man. He was God's Son. There's another story. There was a man in John chapter 9, who was born blind, had never seen before in his life. And 
Jesus was around him and Jesus spat on the ground. I know it sounds gross, but it gets better. He spat on the ground and made mud and he put it on his eyes and he said, all right, I want you to go and I want you to wash in the pool of Siloam. And he goes there and he washes and he can see. His sight is restored or healed. It's not restored. He never was there, but he is given sight miraculously by God. So he goes and it stirs up a commotion within people because they're like, who is this Jesus doing this stuff? He's healing on the Sabbath. He's demon-possessed. They're accusing him. And he's like, I, I, I don't know where he went. I can just tell you I was blind, but now I can see. I can't answer your questions. And so they keep asking him more. And he's like, why are you asking me to tell you again? Here's what happened. He healed me. Are you wanting to be his disciple too? And they're, of course, not wanting to be at this point. So they're mad because he had done all these things. And this chaotic story ends with an interesting detail with them kicking the blind man or the man formerly known as blind. If you want to think of Prince, artist formerly known as Prince. The man who was blind, who used to be blind, they kicked him out of the assembly and said, get out of here. Well, Jesus found out about it. And in chapter 9, verse 35, we pick up the story here. So Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, it's a sign of humility. It's not a, a sign that he's not the Son of God, but it's a sign of humility because he is the Son of Man, and he's also the Son of God. And he answered, Well, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. That's a cool statement. I, I've read that one many times before. And it's, uh, I just feel like Jesus knows what he's about to say. And he's like, oh, this is going to be good. He's the one that's with you right now. And he's the one talking to you right now. And the other guy's just like, whoa. And here's what he says. Lord, I believe. And he, What? worshiped him. Now, Jesus didn't tell him to, no, 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 get up, get up, get up. You don't worship me right now. He received it. Later on in other scriptures, we see where the apostles were confused for being of God. Paul was, and uh, he'd done this, done this miraculous thing, and people came in, and they started to worship Paul, and he says, stop it. Don't worship me. There's only one worthy of worship, and he's Jesus. But Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say, don't worship me. He received it. His followers professed his deity. They saw him in person. This man saw him in person, and it was miraculously, uh, he was miraculously able to see him in person because he had been blind his whole life. So he could see him, but he truly saw him and knew him for who he was as the Son of God, and so he worshiped him. And there's one more story. There's, there's several of these, but there's one more. There were the women who went after the resurrection. These both before were uh, before the resurrection, the two stories I, sh- I told before. So the women go to the, the tomb. Christ had been killed, and he's in the tomb. They go there to anoint a dead body. That's why they're going. They have the spices and all the things that they need to go and deal with the, the tomb that most likely is going to be smelling terribly at this point because of his decaying body. But instead of finding a, a dead Jesus, they see an angel and he meets them. 
And the body of Christ is gone, and he says he's not here. And he tells them to go and tell the disciples to meet Jesus at a certain location in Galilee. So what do they do? They obey because they're excited. And in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 28, it says, And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. I like that part too. At the same time, they have fear and they have great joy. I, I, I can only think of one instance of this, and it was my son, Caden, when he lost his first tooth. He, he, he pulled it out, and he was so excited. He was like, look, look, and then he saw the blade. He's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so he was like this, this great fear of like, oh, no, but this joy of, I did it. I did it. I'm a man. <laughs> I pulled my tooth. <laughs> and so this fear and great joy, they, they run to report this to the disciples because they're excited about what they've seen and what they've heard. And behold, Jesus met them and he greeted them. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Everything they had hoped for in him was gone, and the world was dark. But then they saw their Lord. And they didn't just hug him like a brother, like, oh, we're so glad you're alive. We were so worried and and have a momentous occasion with him and and revel in what God had done for them. They fell down and they worshiped him. And they said, you are God. The followers of Jesus professed his deity. Number three truth tonight regarding worshiping Jesus. The opponents prohibited his deity. They did their best to prohibit it anyway. There were those who continually tried to stop this Jesus because he was messing up their system. They had a good thing going. The people were doing what they wanted them to do. They had power. And he comes in and he's trying to mess all of this up. And they are prohibiting with all of their might his deity. In John chapter 10, verse 31, it picks up where we left off, where Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So what happened after he said that? This very clear statement that me and God are equal. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them. He said, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of these good works are you stoning me? That's also a good line. And the Jews answered him, For a good work, and they were right in saying this, For a good work we do not stone you. But then they got wrong. They said, But for blasphemy. And because you, Jesus, You, being a man, you make yourself out to be God. So if Jesus saying, I and the Father are one, isn't clear enough for us to believe that Jesus professed it, this should make it crystal clear that everyone who heard him say that took him to mean that he was professing his deity. He goes on to argue with them a little more. And in verse 39, we see him say, Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. The opponents prohibited him. 
You can't say that. You can't come in here and claim that you are the Son of God or we will kill you. And they did their best to prohibit his ministry all the way to Calvary where eventually Jesus was killed for claiming to be the Son of God. So I wonder, what response to God do we have? We're talking about worship being a human response to a gracious God. What is our response to him? We've, we've not seen him like the blind man, which sounds funny, the man who was formerly blind. We haven't seen him like him. We haven't walked with him. We haven't touched him. We haven't been uh, at his feet worshiping him like the women at the tomb. We were not there in the boat with Peter and the apostles as they saw him do these miraculous signs. We didn't see him. You ever think it'd be a lot easier to believe in him if we were back then and we could have seen him? But we're here. We're, we're now. So how do we believe if we haven't seen him? There's another powerful and comforting passage that speaks to us about this. There was a man named Thomas. He was a disciple, a follower of the Lord. He wasn't there when the others saw previous sightings of the resurrected Christ. He happened to not be there at that time. I think he was at Starbucks. But eventually, he got together with the guys and he'd heard the, the, uh, the guys and girls. There were ladies' disciples as well. He got together with them and, and, uh, and they said that he had risen. He says, you know what? I, I just can't believe it. I can't swallow that, man. Unless I see him for myself and touch him with my hands, I, I don't think I can believe it. And the Lord heard his prayer. And if that's your concern tonight, he's hearing your prayer as well. In John chapter 20, verse 26 and 29, through 29, after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, and the doors, having been shut, stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, reach here with your finger. See my hands. Reach here your hand and put it in my side. Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And so what did Thomas say? Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God. He professed his deity. And not just, yes, you are the one, but you are my Lord and my God. And Jesus received that worship. And he said to Thomas, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did, who did not see and yet believed. Peter often gets a bad rap in the scriptures because we see him make some prideful mistakes. But I, I like Peter. Thomas gets a bad rap too for being doubting Thomas, but I really like him too. Because he asked a question... And he prayed a prayer that many of us have. 
And because he did, because the Lord recorded it here, we know that our doubts can be answered as well. That we who have not seen him and believe in him are truly blessed. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And I wonder, is that our prayer to God? Do we say to Jesus, my Lord and my God? Do we worship him or is he just someone who helps us out? Do we worship the Son of God, or is he just the one who gets us to the Father, you know, the real God? He is the one who gets us there. He is the mediator that gets us to God, but he is also God himself. I want us to place all of our energy in worshiping Jesus. I think it would solve most of our problems if we would focus on worshiping him in focusing on our response to a gracious God. So are we going to seek the world and its offering? Are we going to seek comfort and wealth and security from what the world can offer us? Or will we find our everything in worshiping the Lord our God? If you were not tempted this week or last night as I was, there are temptations that are coming for you. And there are going to be specific temptations that are going to try to steal your heart away from worshiping Jesus. And it's going to try to refocus you to worship somewhere else. But we should concentrate on worshiping God. We should celebrate the victories. I am celebrating right now that I didn't buy one of those tickets last night. I walked in, And I said pridefully to myself, i got to buy something, otherwise I'm going to look like an idiot for just walking in here and walking out. So, you know, you've been there, right? So I walk in, and I see this most beautiful thing on this shelf. A 99-cent bag of potato chips. And I'm going to go home and eat those tonight because it was too late to eat them last night when I got home. And I'm going to share them with my kids, and we're going to have a joyful time. I spent $1, and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm celebrating the victory that I have in Jesus tonight. I don't need what the world has. I have it all. Celebrate the victories that you have in Christ And for the times when you fail, receive the forgiveness that your Lord is giving you right now. Stop looking back. Stop living a life of defeat. And look to what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And cry out to him, my Lord and my God. And then look ahead and realize that he has a beautiful plan for your life. That there are great things he wants to do through you. And it may be extremely difficult. A great plan for your life doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But it does mean it'll be a godly great plan. And we can worship him. 
And in that act of worship, you will be prepared for that next temptation coming your way. The one that we worship, this Jesus, has given us more than the world can ever offer us and all that we will ever need. One day when there's a new heaven and new earth, we will scoff at the figure of 900 million. It really is absolutely nothing compared to the glory of the one true God, our Creator. A disciple, the second cardinal trait, is a worshiper of Jesus. This is your greatest goal and the greatest commandment for your life, to worship the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. I pray we would all be worshipers of Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty God, Lord and Savior, today is a day for us to worship you, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to respond to your gracious love and your kindness. You are all-powerful, yet you are all-loving. In the midst of our temptation to worship something else, remind us by your Holy Spirit that nothing will ever satisfy us like you. In you, we do have joy. We have hope, we have love, and we have power over darkness. So breathe your life into our lives today as we respond to you in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.